Industrial Light and Magic, LucasArts, Skywalker Sound, Lucasfilm Animation. This is Looking at Lucasfilm with Jim Hill and Dan Z. Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have been dreaming up for the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the one, the only, Dan Z, and I are recording this on Monday, March 18th, which, by the way, is my daughter's 25th birthday. Happy birthday, Alice. Yes, I mean, just, you know, it, it bones me out that she's on the West Coast, but she's coming out here in May, and we've already made plans to have our, our daddy-daughter birthday celebration, which for us, we're, we're two huge nerds. It probably involves going out to see two movies and then eat Chinese food. Nothing wrong with that. This is true. This is true. And, and speaking of celebrations, and, and not in this case with my daughter, it'll be a belated celebration, but celebrations that are coming up, the, the Star Wars celebration thing in Chicago. And so we're not allowed to talk about this yet, right? Uh, yeah, not officially. We, we can say that um, you can expect to see myself in a couple of panels at Celebration Chicago. One of them will also feature a very familiar uh, voice. That would be you, Mr. Jim Hill. <laughs> and, of yeah. course, Coffee with Kobe will be on the podcast stage once again. Yeah, the plan is Nancy's going to put me in a large box with air holes and mail me to Chicago. So you're going to have to sign for that, Dan. I'm, I'm I just will. saying. I'll be on the lookout. Okay. I'll be on, and hopefully they'll Good. deliver it to um, And I will say real quick, I'll plug this real quick. As far as Coffee with Kenobi's podcast stage appearance, it's going to be Sunday, mm-hmm. April 14th from 1 o'clock to 1.45 p.m. in the room where they're having the Celebration podcast stage is Level 1, W-193-AB McCormick Place West. And what we're asking people to do is grab a Coffee with Kenobi t-shirt from T Public, the Celebration Royal Blue one, and we're going to get a big group picture with the hashtag CWK Selfie. So whether you're there or not, you can still grab a shirt and... And feature that online. It's going to be a blast. And actually, speaking of the podcast stage, that's the first place you and I met because at Celebration Anaheim in 2015, we were the very first podcast to ever go on the Celebration podcast stage, and you were there in the audience. Well, yeah, and it was you actually you, you did a great job. I mean, that was my first celebration, so it was a lot of first that trip. I still remember being in the the Anaheim Arena when they showed the trailer for oh, The Force Awakens. And I, I've never, when the moment they showed the footage of Harrison Ford and they were home, Chewy. You know, it just right. I've never heard an audience make that noise before. You know, oh, and, it was amazing. It was, it was. And to give Kathleen credit, it was like, maybe we should roll that again. <laughs> you know, it's like... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Because people were, you know, kind of losing their minds there for a while. And speaking of people losing their minds, <laughs> just in this past week, there was definitely a disturbance in the force when Bob Iger, while he was on stage in St. Louis at, at the shareholders meeting, revealed that the Anaheim version of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge now had an opening date. It's going to open on May 31st of this year and that the Orlando version is going to open on August 29th. Which, relatively large news, yes? I would say probably the, the biggest news we've heard from Star Wars in a very, very, very long time. But the amount of stress is going to put on the on the uh, people that have to make it come together is, is quite daunting, I would imagine. Yeah, it is. And 
things have changed just over the past three months. I mean, for example, January 3rd of this year, here's Iger talking with Barron's Magazine, and he, he was joking that when Star Wars Galaxy's Edge opened in June, they weren't even going to spend any money on advertising. They were just going to tweet out, it's open. So we now jump ahead to February 22nd, and here's that group of reporters, including our good friend Carly, uh, you know, who went and walked through a third, a full third of Rise of the Resistance. They make it as far as the the hangar bay on the uh, Star Destroyer and, you know, the, this giant space. And But here's the thing, at no time during this walkthrough of, of Galaxy's Edge's walk through a Black Spire outpost, you know, does anybody mention that the land will be opening in phases or that Rise of the Resistance would not be an opening day attraction? Rise of the Resistance is, Bob Chapek himself has said, is the most ambitious attraction that the Walt Disney Company has ever built. Depending on how you count show scenes, there are 19 individual show scenes. I heard you and Len talking about this, and I was just uh, completely agape while I was driving down the down the highway. I cannot believe, and that's that. No wonder it's going to take so long, and it's staggering. It is. It's a lot of very complex technical stuff. It has to work seamlessly because thousands of people have to come through this thing an hour to meet its its hourly capacity. So, when Disneyland opened in July of 1955, it wasn't ready either. They didn't really get it sorted out till the fall. So, and remember that that's the language that's being used about Rise of the Resistance. Phase two, which will be a few months after the opening of phase one. But we feel pretty good that the one in Orlando, when that opens, it's going to be not in phases, correct? The thing of Orlando, the wet season in Florida runs roughly from April, May till October. And so now, you know, in theory, by that point, the buildings themselves are done. They can be inside doing all of the work or that sort of thing. But there's a reason that Toy Story Land opened, want to say, five weeks past its original opening date. And, and again, it was just they had a very wet spring. And if you look at Toy Story Land, it's, it's kids' tinker toys out in the backyard and that sort of thing. It's... It's wonderfully detailed and beautifully themed, but it's not nearly as complex. It's not a galaxy far, far away. No, no. You know how we've been talking all this time about how each of these individual Star Wars themed lands, you know, cost $600 million a piece to build? Yeah. I was just told by somebody at Disney's, it's like, right now, these things, when they're done, each of the, the East Coast and the West Coast versions of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge all by themselves, a billion dollars would be Stan. Oof, no wonder those those ticket prices went up so much. Yeah, yeah. I so, mean, seriously, there's got to be a connection. There is, actually, and, and one of those is they want to be sure that the whole world isn't trying to go to Batu during the summer, during summer vacation, or during the holidays. If you go and listen to the Disney dish that Len and I just did, he breaks down the new ticket prices and that sort of thing and how... They're eliminating through just price, continually bumping up the price of, of park hopping. They want to know in advance where people are going to go. And, you know, so they can staff properly. And, you know, if you are headed to Galaxy's Edge, they can make sure that everybody who gets in there 
gets on Rise of the Resistance or get its on Smuggler's Run. So sure, or gets into into build a lightsaber. And I, I tell you what, though, you know that scene in in Forrest Gump when Lieutenant Dan is at the at the the front of the ship and he's yelling mm. at the storm and he's waving. <laughs> That'll be me in Galaxy's Edge of the Wall. <laughs> well, <laughs> if it's any consolation, you while you're waiting in line, you can actually go over to the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular and say goodbye to this version of the show. In fact, Mm -hmm. that's supposedly what one of the things they're going to do this summer is that, you know, for people who are standing in line, they're going to, hey, here's a fast pass. While you're waiting, head over to Indy. And I think as we talked about in 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 an earlier show that it's now been confirmed, the, the redo or the upgrading of the show for the 50th anniversary is a go project at this point. And... This kind of ties in with the other interesting news of the the past week or so with, with James Gunn being rehired to direct Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Yeah, which is great news. It is. It's, it's tremendous news. You have to understand that he's kind of a busy guy now. He's He's got the Suicide Squad 2 to do before he can circle around to finally working on, on Guardians 3, which has been pushed out to 2021. And the interesting thing is that it will... Uh, now probably come out in August of 2021. And the interesting thing is the film that will come out roughly three to four weeks before that is Indiana Jones 5. And in both cases, the interesting thing is that while they are shooting both of those films in 2020, they will also be shooting footage that will be featured in the the Guardians ride at Epcot and for the redo of the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular, because this is the the interesting part of the change for the show, Dan, is that they're going to step away from the conceit that's powered the show since 89. And that's that you are attending, you know, you go into the theater and you're watching an Indiana Jones movie being shot. I love that aspect of that. In fact, I've been in that show twice. Have you really? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. It's, okay. It's well, fun. It's so fun. Well, enjoy that memory because it's most likely going away that the entertainment team right now is rewriting that portion of the show, largely because that's not what Disney Studios Hollywood or Disney's Hollywood Studios is anymore. It's not a let's take you behind the scenes kind of park anymore it, it's the whole conceit of disney's hollywood studios is they put you right in the middle of your favorite films so again you know when you you enter black spire outpost you are on the planet of batu you are not on you know a back lot of a, a movie theme park you are on a planet so that's the that's what they're trying to sort of sort out the conceit of well, what would the indie show be if we took away the filmmaking component. Is there a concern, though, that now they're, they're going to need that ginormous theater to get people, you know, to kind of circulate Galaxy's Edge a little more, make it a little more breathable, but that's going to be really tricky, I guess. Well, I mean, just from an operations point of view, Dan, think about how much those vignettes with the audience members of the teaching the crowds how to be the crowds cover for when they're moving the giant set pieces in and out. I'm told that that's the whole point of shooting new scenes with Harrison, that that supposedly the idea is that the monitors would kick on and he would talk about his favorite scenes from the series. Oh, that's great. But the idea being that they'd want to include 
a way to touch on all five of the movies. I remember when I attended the opening of Disney MGM back in April of 89, and they they weren't, you know, the stunt show wasn't ready. They didn't actually start presenting it on a daily basis till the fall of 89. But they showed the A-Wing stunt sequence, yeah. and at the end of it, they had Eisner and Lucas and Spielberg who took questions from the audience, and they flat out said that they were looking forward to putting scenes from The Last Crusade into the stunt show eventually. Huh. That never happened. No, it so did not. <laughs> be interesting to see if they actually circle back on that at some point. So that's going to happen, and that'll be ready for 2021. And Indy is supposed to hit theaters on July 9th of that. Uh, Indy 5 is supposed to be hitting theaters on July 9th of that year. So, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens there, whether or not this will be an attraction that doesn't necessarily open the earlier part of the year with the official kickoff of the 50th anniversary. Maybe it'll happen later on. Other big news this week, the season one finale of Star Wars Res- uh, Resistance aired on the Disney Channel. And Dan, remember when when this was supposed to be a kid's show that, that sold Star Wars toys? I mean, yeah, th- that was kind of the whole thing of why it was built around the racers that, that flew around the Colossus and that sort of thing. And Oh, yeah. That first episode where it was, it kind of had a weird tone. It was kind of goofy and that's largely because Kaz was sort of portrayed as a klutz. Yes. That's not the show that just did its season one finale. No, not even close. Not even close. This is a show that suddenly has some weight and some depth and and, and some real stakes. I mean, not to spoil this for anybody who hasn't seen The Escape. Part one of No Escape is what you're... No Escape. Yep. Yeah. Part one of that ended with Kaz watching his home home world, Hosnian Prime, you know, destroyed by the Starkiller base. And the actual episode, well, we, we saw Tam leave the ship with the First Order because she felt betrayed by Kaz and Jaeger. Tell them when what happened when they the notice they sent you along with the, the screener of part two of, of No yeah. Escape. They suggested not to reveal any spoilers, and then they they told us what they didn't want us to reveal, but it was before <laughs> I'd actually seen it. <laughs> so, so so I was spoiled. <laughs> so but yeah, I mean the the whole notion of this whole time we've been looking at the Colossus and thinking, okay, so it's a fuel depot on a backwater water world Castellon. And no, it's a ship. Not only a ship, it's a ship with a hyperdrive. And at the point we are now, this story, uh, Star Wars Resistance has clicked right into place, is now running concurrent with a lot of the story we saw in The Force Awakens. Right. And this, in many ways, this is very groundbreaking because mm-hmm. Star Wars Rebels takes place uh, right before A New Hope, basically. Not right before, but you know, within a, a four-year span, four- to five-year span before mm-hmm. A New Hope. But that, obviously, everyone had already known what was going to happen with the Skywalker family and the galaxy in that original trilogy time period. This, we're kind of growing along with these adventures, so we don't know what's going to happen. So it's much more of a, a bold way to do it because there's so much that's unknown and ambiguous. Really quickly, though, I want to circle back. In part one of No Escape, where where Kaz inadvertently witnesses the destruction of Hosnian Prime, 
that sequence was so chilling that it, it actually made my arms and hands tingle. And I think that the destruction of that planet hit me much more powerfully than any time I've ever seen The Force Awakens in theaters or at home. It was just very real because we had more emotional investment. There really wasn't a ton of investment in Hosni and Prime blowing up because we didn't know anyone who was on that planet when that when that film first originally aired in 2015. So knowing that that was Kaz's family and how joyous he was and how innocent he was and just sort of seeing that happen, it was it was absolutely chilling. And I was sitting there next to my five-year-old Mason while we watched this. Mm-hmm. And I and I said, Mason, what just happened? And he just kind of looked at me. It was, that was a moment. I mean, brought this that went from a kid's show to something that the pathos was thick. At that point, we'd had 15 half-hour-long episodes mm-hmm. of Resistance. You know, so that's seven and a half hours of screen time. We'd live with these characters. We'd come yeah. to really enjoy their company and that sort of thing. So this hit, in, and remember, that there's that amazing shot in The Force Awakens of people actually on, you know, Hosni and Prime sort of looking up and you watch the sky glow red before, right. you know, the... But we don't know these people. We so don't know them. And we know one hit. of them because of the novel Bloodline, but that wasn't until well after The Force Awakens came out. Have you seen any of the Star Wars Galaxy of Adventure shorts yet? I have. I've seen all of them. Early on, when this was in, uh, this project was announced in... November of last year, you know, it was going to be used to, to launch the Star Wars Kids website, and these, these videos were going to be posted on YouTube. There was actually a good amount of grumping from the adult Star Wars fan community, because it's like, you know, the whole notion of you're going to take audio from the films and reanimate it. It's like, what is the point of this? I mean, the, we have the finished films. Why would you want to revisit these performances? Why would you want to revisit these moments? And I think we know the answer now because when there is beautifully animated and designed and sort of reimagined, it's just kind of stunning to sort of circle back on moments you thought you knew and look at them again. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the last four in particular, the two Han Solo ones, the Captain of the Millennium Falcon and mm-hmm. Taking Flight with His Friends, or or the one that just dropped this week, the Yoda Jedi Master. Oh my God, you know, these are beautifully, beautifully done. The style is really slick. And um, Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, I mentioned Mason, my son, he he thinks it's pretty fantastic. I will say um, there's like, there are moments in my life where where I can foresee myself as a curmudgeonly man that yells at squirrels from from the luxury (laughs) of his front porch. That's not quite sure that I like this idea, but you know what? Mm -hmm. It's not for me, and it's okay. I mean, it, it still is glorifying Star Wars and these these iconic moments, and really, you can't replicate that with voiceover because that, or, you know, with with a new actor, because the mm-hmm. you know, Luke Mark Hamill is Luke Skywalker, Han Solo is Harrison Ford, and Alden Ehrenreich too, of course, to a degree, but not from the original trilogy. That's Harrison Ford's mm-hmm. turf. So the fact that it's getting kids to like it, and like you said, the animation really is gorgeous. I mean, it is absolutely oh, it is. It stunning, is. and and. And that hooks you in in uh, tremendously. That was the basic launching point for this project. The idea was to take key moments of the series and make them exciting and accessible to younger viewers with the hope that they would then just turn around and it's like, I want to check out these original movies. I want to see what this was all about. There's this weird thing that's going on now generationally with film 
where one of the reasons Disney's doing things like the, the new Dumbo, the, the Tim Burton version with Dumbo, or, or the the redo of a Lion King that John Favreau will have out, you know, later this summer is that there's a generation of kids who, you know, they're watching movies on tablets. They're watching movies on iPhones. Mm-hmm. And when they see like it's a traditional hand-drawn film or if, it, if they perceive it as older, you know, an old movie, it's you know, true. they don't want to watch it. That's very true. I, I, every, every semester when I show the films to my mythology students, that mm-hmm. that it initially becomes a thing, mm-hmm. uh, and it eventually yeah. goes away because the quality is is so rich, of course. But yeah, that that, is, that very much makes sense. I hadn't thought of it that way. I love what they've done here, especially for example, the Yoda one where they do the full arc of Yoda. I mean, you've got him back on Dagobah in the swamps with with Luke, but you also show him at the height of his powers and Attack of the Clones and battling with Count Dooku and and battling in the Senate with uh, Darth Sidious. There's some great, great, great stuff. I look at these one minute, two minute, and I think the solo Captain of the Money Falcon one is the longest one. It's five minutes. But I look at this and it's like, I wouldn't mind actually seeing a whole film for television or a home premiere done in this style. It'd be fun if they would go back and make some of the Legends books in this animation style because then you don't have to worry about stepping on canon. Well, tell you what, folks, Dan and I will continue our animated conversation about what's been going on with Lucasfilm Animation right after we get back from this break. Dan, how many of the celebrations have you been to? Have you been to all of them? Or No, no. There have been 13, if you count the one in Germany, Japan, uh, um, in the UK, and then, of course, a number of them in Anaheim and, and Orlando and things like that. I've been... This will be my fourth one. I went to Celebration 3 in Indianapolis as a fan. Okay. And then I first started covering it in uh, Celebration Anaheim in 2015, then I went to one in Orlando in 2017, and then, of course, I'll be going to Celebration Chicago. Okay, so... You were there in Orlando in 2017. I was. Were you there for the Star Wars Rebels panel when Dave Filoni let everybody know that the show was going to end after four seasons? I did. I was there, and then I went to the press conference afterwards, too. When Star Wars Rebels arrived, people kind of had a chip on their shoulder because they felt like Disney had deliberately forced Clone Wars to be shut down because, of course, it was airing on on Cartoon Network, and and that story wasn't necessarily completed when it was shut down. In fact, we got the what it the lost m- missions that that eventually bubbled up over at Netflix. But right. but people kind of had a chip on their shoulder because it's like you're the show that shut down my favorite show. Right. But once people got to see it, and once people got to see the you know the Ralph McQuarrie style graphics, and you know what they were going to do, you know with the story and that sort of thing. I you know I think people really came to enjoy it. So. Uh, stellar voice cast too. And in fact, I I oh, I'd recently God, yeah. just watched all of season one again with my son, and he is absolutely devouring it, and it's making me love it all over again. That I still think it's the best animation, uh, the best animated series that Lucasfilm has ever done. Rebels will always have a very special place in my heart. And okay, Freddie. Oh, I'm blanking the name of Freddie Prince Jr. Freddie Prince Jr. Been okay. on coffee with I, Kenobi I, four different times. Okay. Here, here. Oh, that that's great. In fact, we interviewed him live in Anaheim. It was a blast. Oh. We had a great. It was just the four of us. Did he ever tell you the story of auditioning for? He did. Uh, oh, 
I love but, that story. But tell the story. It's fantastic. Okay. They weren't ready to tell the cast as they were auditioning for the roles what the show was. And as Freddie told me the story, he was well, he was in the booth and he was reading, I think it, the, the phrase that gave it away was sun swords. Something like that, yeah. Or laser sword, yeah. He didn't say lightsabers, but it was close enough. And Freddie's like, I'm auditioning for a Star Wars cartoon, aren't I? And the people in the booth go pale because nobody else had figured this out. But Freddie had had figured it out. Probably had a four-letter word in there, too, I'm sure. He said he had to step out of the booth for a moment and go hyperventilate because it's like, Freddie, there's no bigger Star Wars fan on the planet. I mean, he was telling me about, you know, as a kid playing with my Star Wars action figures. And so to be offered this part and to be part of the show and, and, you know, and to get the character that he got, you know, it's like this Jedi who was going to come out of hiding. It was a dream. He stayed that enthusiastic the entire run of the show. I love that guy. You can understand that when they announced in April of 2017 that Star Wars Rebels is shutting down, it's like, Disney. I remember being kind of at peace with that, because, I mean, I, I'm I'm one of the rare fans who actually thinks it's okay for a story to have a conclusion. That's not how American television works, Dan. You know, we do, <laughs> you know, the way American television works is we take a good idea and we run it straight into the ground. We never let something end gracefully. We always make it run three more years after, you know, when it was good. So again, the, the fact that not only did Star Wars Rebels end, but it, it had that wonderful ending that sort of left us in a place, oh my God, they're going to go off and try to find Ezra. And it's, it's Sabine and Osaga. I loved that moment in March of 2018 that, you know, it, it went on, out on that grace note and left us hopeful. Mm-hmm. Thing of beauty. But remember, in between when Dave revealed that the show was ending, I remember bringing up to you that someone had showed me a trademark for Star Wars Rebels or, or Star Wars Resistance. And I was like, oh, this is for a toy line. This is for something. And you were like, I can't tell you about this yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. You know, yeah, last year, you know, yeah. Maybe you should sit on that for a while. Cause I don't. <laughs> these are not the droids you're looking for. You know, that, that, <laughs> it's not a toy line. So, okay, April of last year, Star Wars Resistance officially gets announced and it's scheduled for a fall debut. It's going to be done in an anime style, and particularly for a lot of us who were still mourning that Rebels had ended. That you know, this word that it was like this is a show that's aimed at younger fans. Face it, if you're an older Star Wars fan, you're still grumpy because of Luke being taken out at the end of Last Jedi, and there's all these stories in the news about what's going on with reshoots for Solo, a Star Wars story, and, you know, we're still a month out from, you know, actually getting to see that Ron Howard movie. Um, I, I, you know, and, and I think what, what complicated the situation was jump ahead to July, and Again, and you were there also, Dan. You, you know, you were there, you know, San Diego Comic-Con when the Clone Wars 10th anniversary panel and suddenly mm. here's this announcement that the show is coming back. You know, 12 new episodes created just for Disney+. And I think for a lot of folks who grew up watching Clone Wars during its run uh, 2008 to 2014 on, on Cartoon Network, it's just sort of like, oh, great, the show is coming back, but... In the meantime, we get this kid's show. 
Let's be honest here. It didn't help things in August of last year when Dave Filoni revealed that he wasn't necessarily going to be as hands-on with Star Wars Resistance. He had something else he was working on, which we'd find out in October was The Mandalorian. Right. In addition to Clone Wars as well. Mm -hmm. So people weren't necessarily set up properly to embrace Star Wars Resistance when it finally dropped on, on October of 2018. But I think by the time we got to the first, you know, they did sort of their mid-season break in early December, Station Theta Black, where we get to see Captain Phasma and we, we start to hint at things that are really going to start to link up with, with Force Awakens. And it's only what is it? It's barely a month later that we we learn that they're uh, they've renewed it for a second season, and then starting on January thirteenth with the, the Bebo, I think the back eight episodes of this are so strong mm-hmm. and do s- such a nice job of sort of you know raising the stakes and getting you invested with the characters and all that. There's legitimate cost those last eight mm-hmm. episodes and they kind of introduce it. I think you really start to see real signs of it about four or five episodes in overall, but the last eight, it just becomes much more serious and there's actually real concern about what's going to happen because one thing that resistance has going for it mm-hmm. that the other shows didn't is we don't know the fate of these characters and we don't know the fate of this galaxy or the fate of what's going to happen to the resistance itself. So that Absolutely. adds an extra level of, drama to it that, that no Star Wars uh, animation has ever had before. I don't know if you saw the announcement, uh, I think it actually happened yesterday or thereabouts, about how Star Wars Clone Wars is actually leaving Netflix? Yes, I saw that. Yeah, April 7th, 2019. Supposedly they get pulled off of Netflix and of course this is out ahead of the show coming back as a Disney plus exclusive but it's going to be tough for star wars animation fans over because again we don't have a return date yet for the fall of 2019 for season two and i and again the the galaxy adventure stuff i guess will will keep us sort of chugging along well we we do know there's going to be quite a few panels at celebration about the animation there's going to be this is true yeah there's going to be a resistance one a rebels one and a clone wars one they have already said that for the rebels one they're not going to announce a new series. So that kind of puts the kibosh on the idea of what's going to happen with Sabine and Ahsoka looking okay. for Ezra. But we do know that we're going to get to see most likely a preview of what's going to happen with the Clone Wars. And hopefully we'll get an actual concrete date about when we can expect to see that air. Cool. Cannot wait. All right. So now to just sort of double back quick to where we are, where we've left off with uh, Star Wars Resistance with our, our Season 1 finale. So again, we, we talked about Tam being manipulated by First Order Security Officer Agent Tierney, mm-hmm. and she boarded the shuttle and she's she left the Colossus. So we actually we watch, basically watch that story play out in real time because over time she began to resent both Kaz and her boss Jaeger, you know, because it, it became obvious that Something was going on and she was not being included. And at the end, when she learned that Jaeger had been lying to her. From a certain point of view. Yes, but see, that's that's what's fascinating. That I love this aspect of storytelling. The, you know, the effect of a character has a good reason 
to make a bad decision. Now it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. The beauty of Star Wars is we have seen characters make bad decisions and whether or not they come to redeem themselves over time is, is going to be interesting. And as you mentioned, that it's a misperception on her part. She doesn't have all of the information, but Kaz and Yeager weren't in a position to give her all of the information. You know, he's a, a spy for the Resistance. And from the history they'd established with that character, you know, her her, her dad working in a, a factory for the Empire back in the day and how she perceives the First Order being on the Colossus is a good thing versus these guys are really putting the stranglehold on us. Now to turn to Kaz, I mean, we, as we talked about at the very top of the show, that he's lost his homeworld, he's lost his parents. In fact, Dan, I'm almost embarrassed we should have put this together earlier because think about it, the one time we saw Kaz talk with his dad, it was kind of that fuzzed out image. He, you know, they couldn't actually see one another. Oh, that's right. From the from the yeah. pilot, I think. I don't know if that was a deliberate choice on the part of the production team or that sort of thing. Whether is it going to hurt more if we actually show what the parents look like, or maybe this is a kindness to the audience. But even so, as you mentioned, you know, when he's looking over those crates in the the corridor and watching Huck's deliver his speech to the stormtroopers via a hologram, and then that image of Hosnian Prime being destroyed and to watch his face, to watch his expression. I can't help but think they're going to have to circle back on this. This is, he's been that's so gotta busy. That's got to be trauma. It's got to be PTSD yeah, no, that's that. exactly. But at the same time, he's going to have his hands full because, as you mentioned, you know, from your don't talk about this list, that the, the Colossus is, isn't a refueling station. It's a ship. It's a ship with a hyperdrive. And not only that, but now there are pirates on board the Colossus. And because they help the Colossus escape from the First Order and, and the community is going to have to deal with the pirates and give them some sort of respect because they wouldn't be there if the pirates hadn't helped. But it, on the previous episodes, we've shown this thriving merchant community that lives on the Colossus, but they're a thriving merchant community because people would come and go to the refueling station and now they're headed off into deep space who knows where. And... More to the point, we don't know how badly the ship was damaged because we showed the Star Destroyer wailing on the thing before it left orbit and, or escaped gravity and was able to jump. And they don't even know where they're heading to because Niku says he was well, in yes, to finish and, the coordinates. <laughs> and that's the other big MacGuffin here is that... Gilligan's Island, basically. Yeah. What we're going to have. Well, I think the other thing for me that what's a, a wonderful ticking clock is is face it you know we know from the from both the storyline of the force awakens and the last jedi that the resistance base on qatar is am i saying that right dakar dakar yes. okay that they had to abandon that because you know after they blew up star killer base the first order was able to track them back to you know their headquarters so they had to flee there so and here is kaz and you know giving the coordinates to niku so they could jump that much closer to the resistance. And now they don't know where they're, they're going to end up. If they're going to try to hook up with the resistance, the resistance is abandoning that base. And I guess for me, I love the stakes. I love the way that they've mapped this out. More to the point, I would argue at this point, this is not a kid's show anymore. Mm, I mean, I realize it's animation, yeah. but... It's got more overt adult themes with with real challenges, but it but it's great because as I said I show my little boy 
So that opens up the opportunity to have interesting conversations about uh, the nature of good and, and what isn't good and what does it mean to look out for your friends. Uh, pretty fascinating stuff, really. So you're sitting there with your five-year-old and you watch those scenes where Nico is flushed the stormtroopers out. Yeah. You know, into rather deep water. And the interesting thing is there's a commercial break between one specific scene where they flush like three stormtroopers mm-hmm. out in the deep water and and then they come back for the commercial break and there's the equivalent of a sawfish that sort of swims through the shot, but it's got a stormtrooper's helmet in its mouth. So I'm going to assume that not everybody makes it to the surface. Well, yeah, that's see, that's why it kind of reminds me of the G.I. Joe cartoons where they show the Cobra guys when they fall out of their of their jets or helicopters and all of a sudden the, the parachutes pop out at the end. What I told my son was, oh, look, he's still swimming. He must be able to breathe in that stormtrooper armor. Now, I know that's not true, <laughs> uh, but, but I'm glad you, that it was just ambiguous enough that I don't have to explain that. You're part. a good dad. Yeah. That's a good dad explanation. But I, I have to tell you that all I could think of is as I'm sitting there watching this is, do you know that scene from Kevin Smith's Clerks where they're talking about how the Death Star, you know, is filled with contractors. Oh, yeah. You know, they, Luke and Han, you know, took out the Empire, or the biggest weapon of the Empire, but they also took out thousands of, of, of contractors. And I guess I'm, I'm at a weird place in my life when I see guys, stormtroopers, you know, washed out into deep water. It's like, oh, that's not going to end well. No, and that, well, that's another example of the cause because, you know, Kaz is very whimsical and, in uh, very much like a, a walking member of the Three Stooges, but mm-hmm. but the things that happen to these guys that are trying to kill him, they're no joke. I mean, there's there's nothing no. ki- uh, kid about that. I know exactly what you're saying. So again, Star Wars Resistance returns for season two on the Disney Channel this fall. So maybe I'll do a quick cutaway to the. Meanwhile, back on Castellan bunch of guys clutching debris you know, it's like right. and hoping that the star destroyers is, is picking up you know stormtroopers who are bobbing around in the water and if, by the way speaking of resistance if if you are, are not quite fully caught up you can check on stars.com i did a refresher course for people on basically what the impetus for star wars resistance is and caught everybody up on everybody's character arcs because we didn't even talk about captain doza or anything like that so that's all on stars.com for you very cool. Wow. But if that's not enough, Dan, if, if they want even more of Star Wars goodness, where, where can they find your other stuff around the web? Sure. Well, they can certainly find me each and every week on coffeewithkenobi.com. Anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you will find us. And last week, we started our Road to Celebration shows a month out from every celebration. We basically take um, that week and just give you a, sort of a glimpse of the news and announcements and panels give you strategies, whether you're a first-timer or a Star Wars Celebration season veteran. Uh, I think it's something that will really help you prepare. And maybe just as important, if not more so, if you're not able to make it to Celebration, we want you to feel like you're still a part of that experience virtually. So Coffee with Kenobi is is certainly the way to go for that. You can also, as I mentioned, find my writing on StarWars.com and on IGN. And if you do make it to Celebration, again, Sunday, April 14th from 1 o'clock to 1.45 on the podcast stage, you will see us there. My side of the fence, we've got the podcast started all, Disney Ninja with Luntesta. We've got fine-tuning with Drew Taylor, who, by the way, over at his Light the Fuse podcast, got a three-part series going with uh, director Brad Bird, 
Do not miss that. Phenomenal. Universal Joint, uh, which I do with Dustin Fuse. We've been getting very heavily into the Harry Potter over there lately. Uh, I Want That with Michelle Valladolid. And, of course, we also have been doing the Marvelous Disney podcast, which just been waiting through all of the Captain Marvel stuff and getting ready to start talking about Endgame. So uh, be sure to check all of those out. And uh, also, on, on behalf of, of Mr. Z, if you like what you're listening to, if you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend the show, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. We also... Further on, if you like to really like what we're doing here and want to help support it, head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. Uh, we are doing some special Bandcamp-only content that you'll want to check out. On behalf of Dan, thanks for listening tonight, and take care, folks. Thank you for listening to Looking at Lucasfilm with Jim Hill and Dan Z, one of many great podcasts on the Jim Hill Media Network.